Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. What is up, everybody? Welcome, finally, to Playoff Football. It is the AFC Wildcard Matchup Preview Show here on the Bootleg Football Podcast. We have two episodes this week, one dedicated to the AFC Playoff Picture, one dedicated to the NFC Playoff Picture. We are recapping, or not recapping, previewing the three AFC games on Super Wildcard Weekend today, and then later on this week, either in a day or, or two days from now, however fast we can get it out, the NFC episode will be out. So again, we got Chargers at Jags, Ravens at Bengals, Dolphins at Bills, all to talk about today. But before we get there, EJ, bud, how are you doing? How was your holiday? How was uh come back from a little break? It was a little break. We had a break for um, a couple of reasons. One was obviously Demar Hamlin. We haven't said anything about Demar Hamlin. Uh, we said a few things on Twitter. Uh, lots of people asked us when we were going to talk about it. I don't know that we're the best equipped to talk about it, but in terms of where we're at with it, um, yeah, it was a thing. Everybody witnessed it. It was something that had never happened before. A hugely traumatic situation, obviously, for Demar. Uh, but for everybody that witnessed it as well, his teammates, trainers, all the people watching on TV. So it set us back a pace, and we had a whole thing that we were going to do last week, and it wasn't the time to do that. It was time to sit back and, and take that in and get through it, and we did that, and luckily for Damar first and his family, uh, seems that he is responding pretty well. Still in the hospital, but neurologic functions there. He's able to talk with his friends and family, put out a tweet about the Bills uh, before they played this weekend. Um, that's that's just lucky, and it's due to a lot of hard work. Um, many people contributed to that outcome, and we're, we're extremely happy that that's the case. So that's why there was no last week. This week, um, it's back to football, and uh, I don't think we've forgotten about that. I don't think anybody's ever going to forget about that, but we are back to talking about football on the field and includes his team the buffalo bills and that feels i don't know about you but there's definitely that sigh of relief there was a sort of elongated pause there where a player goes down on the field and everybody waits and kind of holds their breath and then they get up or even if they get carted off they give the thumbs up and everybody goes oh okay and we didn't get that and we had to wait like a long time four days yeah and there was no certainty in that outcome and it was it was tough it was really, really tough. Um, so we get some of that relief. Um, again, most fortunate outcome, um, not forgetting about that or trying to sweep it under the rug or even or even minimize it. It's, uh, it's never happened. It's a really big deal. It's a really big deal for a lot of people. But, yeah, we get to talk about playoff matchups this week. And it's, uh, it's interesting. This is the sum total. We started in the summer. We did all the preview episodes. Uh, we've watched all, you know, 18 weeks worth of football now, and now it's money time. Now it's, you know, one of these teams, not just AFC, but one of the teams from these two episodes is going to win the Super Bowl. It's going to be the champion of the league for this year. So this is uh, this is brass tax time, and that makes it interesting. The stakes go up. Uh, NFL playoffs one and done. Lots of drama, and we'll see. But we'll we'll get into all that. How are you doing? I mean, I'm. <laughs> Truth be told, I am at the point in the season where I am ready to talk about the draft. Not because <laughs> I don't I don't love, you know, when games are actually going on, but I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm really exhausted. I'm I'm ready to to get through the playoffs, you know, go to the Super Bowl, crown a champion. Obviously, all these games are the most fun to watch, 
but this is when you're doing 80 hour weeks and I am, have not been sleeping much and I don't think I will be sleeping much until I get back from Arizona in the middle of February. So this is always the hardest month of the year. I'm excited for it, but I'm also really ready for it to be over because uh, it's always rough. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, shit, I talk about football for a living. So I guess it's not the worst thing in the world. Not at all. Not at all. But I, I feel you. People are, uh, I, I started, I don't know about you, but oh, I do know about you because you were tagged in some of the tweets, but I started getting those asks like Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Like, so, especially all the teams that got eliminated, right? So when oh. you, when do you guys start Bears, talking about the draft? As soon as the Bears got the first overall pick, it's like eight DMs within five minutes of like, so what do you think we should do? <laughs> Buddy, hey, when do you? We're really far from that. Yeah, when do you and Brett fire up? I want to hear it. Like, I want to hear it tomorrow morning. Uh, I started getting asks for interviews over the weekend, like you know, Sunday night, Monday morning. Um, It's like, hang on, we got we got some things to do. So it's this weird tidal period of the season where we have you know what everybody's been working for the whole year. We have playoffs and Super Bowl. Well, that's why it's it's eighty hour weeks is because not only we're doing these episodes, but we're studying Shrine guys, we're studying Senior Bowl guys, we're doing combine prep, we're seeing who's transferring, who's coming out, who's staying. Like this is the wildest, most loaded, like five week period on the NFL calendar because draft season and the actual season are colliding. Yeah. And I mean, we still don't have a, a, a neutral site location for the AFC championship game as of the day of us recording this, which is Monday. Is today Monday? Yes, today's Monday. Today is um, Monday, yes. See, I don't even know what day it is. Yep. There's a possibility that it will be in Las Vegas while we're in Vegas for the Shrine Bowl because that's one of the few cities that can just suddenly take a deluge of people on short notice. We might go to the AFC championship game. Without the Raiders even being in it. So we'll see. Again, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. Also, by the way, you brought up the the summer series we did, previewing every single team that led us up to this. We actually picked division winners every single week, every every time we did a division. We hit three out of four on the AFC. Somehow, I, I, I think I did seven out of eight, and I think you hit six out of eight total across the league. If I recall correctly, uh, I think I'm five because we're going to talk about the AFC we went basically three out of four. We'll show you those results. And then in the NFC, uh, we both got uh, two right and then I got two wrong. And the ones we split, actually, you got right and I got wrong, both of those. So you did extremely well. You missed one, which was in the AFC. We both missed it. We picked the Colts to win the AFC South because, boy, we thought something was going to happen with Matt Ryan. Something happened with Matt Ryan, but not the something we were thinking of. So, ow on that one. But AFC East, both pick Buffalo. Hurrah. AFC North, we both pick Cincinnati. Again, hurrah. And AFC West, we both picked Kansas City. Although we said that division was going to be a juggernaut, we still both said, until further notice, it goes through Pat Mahomes. Hurrah. So, three out of four for the AFC. Not bad. And it's funny because we we got a lot of shit for for not fully jumping in on the rest of the AFC West arms race. We commented on it. We analyzed it. We said, all oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be the Kaiju division. Giant monsters fighting giant robots. But as long as Andy and Pat are there, we cannot drag ourselves away from picking them. And it, 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 we got a lot of crap for that. And then about 10 weeks into the season, it was like, hmm. They spent $500 million collectively in the offseason to chase this team, and nobody's even close. Yeah. So, yeah, for the next 10 years, I, I'll probably keep picking yeah. the Chiefs. Boy, are, boy, are we glad. We're going to have some Pat Mahomes statistics later in the show, but that was a lot less certain feeling, right? That lost Tyreek Hill, and there was all this influx of talent to the division, and nobody was like, yep, absolutely. I mean, KC fans were like, yeah, yeah, whatever come through us um but generally nfl media was like i don't know could be these guys could be these guys and we we flirted with that but in the end when we had to put it on paper we said casey wins this division and boy are we glad we did because boy did they i'd rather go down with the chief ship than anything else if i'm gonna be wrong about something i'm gonna be wrong about betting on pat Mahomes. um but enough about the chiefs for now we'll touch on them later First things first, we got to talk about Chargers, Jaguars, doing our kind of little in-depth preview. And we're dedicating the bulk of this show to 
looking at every aspect of these individual matchups because we want you guys to be as educated as you possibly can while you're sitting down there watching these games this weekend. You know, maybe you're betting on them. Maybe you're doing, uh, you know, some pick em slips over on prize picks and, and you want to have the best possible information for putting those together. Shameless plug, shameless plug here, EJ. Uh, promo code bootleg over on prize picks. They'll match your deposit up to $100. So if you want to get a free $100, go over to prize picks, promo code bootleg. Get a whole bunch of extra stuff to build your slips with this weekend. But all that being said, in terms of schematic and personnel matchups, which is what the people are here for, this is probably one of the most even games on either side of the the conference picture here uh, for the entire weekend. There's a whole bunch of other games that I expect to be pretty brutal blowouts. This is not one of them because you have two young hyper-talented quarterbacks that I think are inarguably top five to seven quarterbacks in the league right now going toe-to-toe against two defenses that are more plucky than I think they're given credit for. They both started out kind of shit and then both corrected in the back half of the season to become a lot more um, stingy. Again, I'm not going to use the word dominant, but stingy (laughs) than they were in September and October. And these two teams do feel somewhat similar in a lot of ways. What's not so similar is how this game looks on paper compared to the first time they played against each other in week three. Because again, these two teams are very different teams uh, since their September form, where both their defenses were kind of trash. Trying to say it diplomatically, but they were. If you look at like the last two months or so when the Jags started going on their run and when the Chargers started going on their run, The Jags defense specifically plays predominantly middle field close coverages. Middle field close meaning the middle of the field is literally closed by a single high deep safety. So think cover one, cover three, you know, stuff where like you can identify one safety in the middle of the field. They major in those types of coverages, especially on early downs, about 65%. So what does that mean? They're going to be dropping an extra body in the box. They want to be able to stop the run. They want to have more bodies available to bring pressure, and they want to play a lot of cover one, specifically man coverage. Their secondary early in the year was getting torched a lot in man coverage situations because outside of a couple guys, they have some holes there, but they have played better, especially in man coverage situations over the back half of the season, so they've improved on that. On third and seven plus in particular, they are even more in demand coverage than they normally would be, about 45% total across cover one, um, you know, one double, cover five, which is two man. About half of all their third and long situations are man coverage. So expect them to stick with that and probably even play it more than that against the Chargers because the Chargers don't have a whole lot of deep speed. So every third and long, we're going to see, you know, cover one or we're going to see, uh, like man pressures that are bringing five and six guys. We're going to see a lot of stuff where like Mike Williams is going to be isolated. Keenan Allen's going to be isolated. Eckler's going to be isolated. And it's going to be on those guys to win. Speaking of pressure, by the way, another stat that I was digging up when, you know, kind of going through this matchup, the Jags have the most number uh, or the highest number of unblocked pressures generated from fire zone calls on third down. They call it about two to three times per game on third down. 2.5 is the exact number. That's ninth most in the league, and they are really good at it. So even though they call it ninth most, they have the most unblocked pressures, meaning they're really good in terms of, you know, using alignment and, you know, pre and post that movement to kind of scheme up a free rusher. And that also kind of matches up well with all the the man coverage or, uh, you know, match zone coverage, which is what fire zone tends to play out as. On third down, it's a lot of guys out on islands and a lot of bodies rushing the quarterback. So they do that a lot. Here's the rub. Justin Herbert, looking at him against pressure situations on third down, he's pretty good against it. He's only faced it 36 times uh, this year total, but he's thrown three touchdowns, no picks, only taken two sacks. His yards per attempt does go down to about 5.1 because, again, nobody's (laughs) running deep uh, in this receiving core. But he's really efficient, he doesn't make mistakes, and generally he's able to get a lot of first downs out of it, even though it's not a lot of explosive gains. So all that to say, 
you know, it's a fire hose of numbers. I understand that. The Jags play middle field close coverages. They play man, especially in third and long, and they bring pressure. And this whole matchup in terms of Chargers offense versus Jags defense comes down to that third down battle of design pressures with man coverage against a slow receiving core that might struggle to separate down the field and kind of give Herbert an explosive way to punish those types of defensive calls. So it's an absolutely fascinating matchup in terms of who's going to win that battle. I will never count out Justin Herbert because he's really good in the pocket. He's really good at kind of, you know, extending plays and making something out of nothing. But I don't know. It's just, I look at the receiving core and schematically, I think that they might not have the juice to really help him out in those third down situations. So it might be a little bit more, uh, you know, tough sledding than maybe people realize. And I think that the Jags defense is going to be kind of, you know, continuing that arc up that we've seen over the last six weeks or so where they started out trash and became somewhat respectable. This game is going to put a ton of pressure on both of these young quarterbacks. If there was a futures game in the NFL playoffs, this is it. It's Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence. Both of those guys can and do make really cool plays under pressure, and we're going to see some of those, which is the exciting part. You talked about this matchup being possibly one of the most even of the entire weekend, AFC or NFC. Turns out it is exactly even. They did the futures projection. It's 50%. This game is straight down the middle. Oh, like like literally like odds 50%? The win percentage, 50%. It's the most even game of the weekend. We're going to see a lot of pressure on those quarterbacks, and they are going to perform. We're going to see them rise to the occasion and make those plays because they both do on a weekly basis. But the interesting thing about this passing game focus, in this case talking about the Jags defense versus Justin Herbert and that offense, both of these defenses are tied for the year at 21st in the league in the opponent's passing yards per attempt, 6.7 yards per attempt. The Jags and the Chargers ended up with the exact same number down to the 10th after 17 games so you might say oh well you know you got two talented quarterbacks you got two passing defenses that are exactly the same over the course of an 18-week season like it's the same deal if you look at the last three weeks it tells a very different story the chargers over the last three weeks are at 6.7 mean for the year they have been really consistent the jags over the last three weeks 4.9 opponents passing yards per attempt so they started off terrible like you said we talked about this on this podcast many times the secondary was inconsistent gave up big plays they got burned in those man pressure situations because it wasn't all working together a lot of new pieces through the draft new coaching staff of course and and they the cracks showed early in the year they got torched well in the last month they have dialed it down and those pressures are starting to get home at a higher rate and the secondary is learning how to cover just long enough to get those guys to the quarterback so if the jags had managed that rate 4.9 yards per opponent's passing attempt for the whole year they would be about 10 spots higher in the rankings than they are at 21st that's a huge jump it's about a third um, so right now the Jags are again, that upward trend you talked about peaking at the right time. It is going to be tougher sledding for Justin Herbert than it is for Trevor Lawrence. Now, not I- easy for either one of them, um, but the Jags are playing better football defensively right now than the Chargers are, um, actually versus the run and the pass. So, you know, if I'm leaning a certain way, it's probably towards the Jaguars in this particular matchup. Um, because it is going to be more difficult for Herbert against Herbert against that improved Jaguars defense, or especially over the last month. Uh, I also want to flip it over to the other side because uh, the Chargers defensively also blitz a shitload on third down. Um, maybe part of that was influenced by the fact that Joey Bosa was hurt for a lot of the year, but hey, the numbers are the numbers. Uh, that's just schematically what they've done. They have 62 pressures uh, of five-plus rushers or more, which is fourth most in the league on third down. What's interesting about it, though, it's only in certain situations. So in third and long, they're actually 18th in called pressures of five or more at only 23, but on third and six or less, so, you know, third and medium, third and short, they're second at 39. Hmm. 
So basically what you get into is, is in third and long, they're going to call, you know, I don't want to say a vanilla zone coverage because it's not like they're spot dropping, but it's mostly going to be like a, a match three, a quarter, quarter, half cover two, depending on the look from the offense. It's really going to be based on personnel and formation and game plan, and all that kind of stuff, but it's going to be some kind of zone. And then in third and medium or third and short, they're going to call like a three, three fire zone or a two, four fire zone, which is basically just cover two with one less guy and they're going to bring heat whether it's with a linebacker or a nickel like they are going to bring heat and it's kind of for two different reasons because fire zones are also a pretty good way of stopping the run on short yardage if you can get an unblocked body in the backfield like they're actually pretty good at doing that you know you slant the defensive line it'll kind of screw up blocking angles sometimes you can sneak a defensive lineman through with that um, and then you got you know nickel coming off the edge unblocked so they use it in run defense and for stopping the pass on third and medium what's interesting about it though is Trevor Lawrence conveniently has also seen the third most fire zone pressures on third and six or less this year with 20. So a little over one per game on average. He'll be in that situation where it's like third and four, third and five, and they'll throw five bodies at him. And on those plays in particular, his adjusted completion percentage, which factors in things like drops or throwaways, anything like that, is 73.3%, which is pretty damn good. His passer rating is 94.4%. He did have one touchdown, no picks, only took one sack on those 20 pressures. And again, he was more on the uh, efficient side than the explosive side because the receiving core, again, is not the most explosive in the league, to put it kindly. But no major errors under pressure, and that's what's important. And I think that we're going to see that uh, on this side of the ball in this game, just like we're going to see it on the other side of the ball, which is third down, blitzing. And whichever quarterback handles these blitzes the best, and both these quarterbacks play very similar games, that's probably who's going to win. What I find, kind of jumping ahead of this game a little bit, what I find interesting is that whoever wins this game most likely is going to be going to Kansas City. And I don't think Kansas City wants to play either of these teams right now. So I think all the Chiefs fans that listen to the show passionately as you do, and there's a lot of you, you should be paying attention very closely to this game because you're going to have to deal with one of these freaks of nature, either Lawrence or Herbert, and I don't think it's going to be very fun. You're, you're probably still going to win, but it's it's not going to be an easy game. There's a lot of talent at that position matched on both sides of the balls. There's also a lot of talent on those rushing defensive lines, the, the Chargers defensive line, you know, Mack and Bosa, right? The interior not as talented that's maybe a difference for kansas city where the interior rush is maybe greater than the exterior but the exterior rush is coming up for the chiefs but both of these teams chargers and jags have a lot of talent on the jag side arden key free agent addition we talked about had a resurgence in san francisco last year under chris kasurik one of the one of our favorite defensive line coaches in the league and he's been a menace in jacksonville when you talk about getting a rusher free and hitting people that's a role they've used him in a lot. Third down, get loose. We're going to scheme a slant to your side or a loop. You're going to be the guy cutting inside and hit the quarterback as hard as you can. And you don't see a ton of that anymore with the rules changes in the NFL, but Arden Key has been smacking people, especially over the last four or five weeks. So look for the Jags to try and scheme him free. And, of course, the Chargers are going to try and do the same, even in those sort of short, third and short, third and medium where – the Chargers defense really wants to force you to make a decision quickly and right. And, and it's both of those things. We're, we're going to bring that pressure. We're going to try and make you decide, and you're going to have to do it fast because we're not going to give you very much time. That's their that's their M.O., and they, they've got the horses on the outside to do it. So we're going to see a lot of that going on. Chargers have you know loads of talent on defensive side of the ball too, but they're also the Chargers, so they also have a ton of injuries. And they haven't been able to escape that. The nickel roll has been a sort of thorn in their side. And the run defense, look, they tried. They tried to sign some guys. <laughs> um, you know, it's that Bart Simpson, hey, at least you tried cake. You can just toss it in the garbage. They're last in the NFL versus opponents' rush yards per attempt. The Chargers are the last team in the NFL, and that's that. They don't 
they just don't match up versus the run very well. So I would fully expect Doug Peterson to look at that and say, hey, guys, guess what we're going to do? We're going to run. We're going to run a lot, and we're going to try and basically push that advantage in every way we can. And when we have to go to those pressure situations, we're going to be looking for the nickel roll. We're going to be looking for our third wide receiver. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see how they – maximize those two things how they choose to try and run people over because we don't think of the jags as as a sort of they're they're not a power running team but they're an explosive running team and they're going to try and rip some of those off definitely to give themselves more favorable down and distance matchups and if they're successful they'll just keep doing it and they might be versus the chargers defense chargers defense is going to have to find a way to bow up and fill those gaps and if they don't they're probably going to be playing from behind in this one. But if the Chargers do, then Peterson has every ability to switch with Trevor and say, all right, now we're going to start pressuring that third defensive back. we got to find him and put him under a ton of pressure because it's probably the weakest link in the Chargers' pass defense. So the schematic matchups of both offenses attacking these defenses and the adjustments at halftime specifically are going to be really interesting to watch not to throw too much of a wrench into this, but I was curious and I looked at it while you were talking because mm-hmm. I'm going to be building a slip as we go here. Uh, <laughs> Travis Etienne's over under for rush yards is 70 and a half. That feels not like egregiously low, but it feels low. It feels like I would take the, the over. Matchup. I would yeah. take the over on that. And then Christian yeah. Kirk, this one also, again, considering, you know, he is a good outlet in pressure situations. Uh, his over under is 57 and a half receiving. So it, I have, I have more confidence in, in Kirk than I do Ingram hitting 44 and a half. So there's that. True. The Kirk thing is fascinating because he is one of those players that's boom or bust in that offense because Trevor will distribute the ball and Doug Peterson will scheme up different matchups week to week based on strength. So he could double that really easily or he could get two catches and come in just under. If I am going to take one thing from this game, though, it's it's probably ETN over 70 and a half. So if you're at home building your prize pick slips, keep that in mind. It might go up as the week goes on, because I have to imagine a lot of people are going to be slamming the over on that, but put that in the back of your mind. We'll get back to the show in just a second, but real quick, the job market right now is crazy, and January is hiring season for most companies, so there's a lot of competition out there to try to hire the best candidates possible for your business. If you yourself are also a small business owner like we are, and you need to hire some extra help to get your 2023 started on the right foot, LinkedIn Jobs will help you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster than ever before. Every single week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. So if you're hiring, that is the place to be. You can create a job posting in just a couple of minutes on LinkedIn jobs to reach out not just on your network, but the entire LinkedIn network of over 875 million people. And you can even use tools like screening questions to try to narrow down and filter your search as much as possible. So if you've been trying to hire someone and you've checked all the boxes that you knew you were supposed to check with good benefits and good pay and work-life balance and all that stuff that you know you have to do, but you're still just not getting as many bites as you want to for whatever reason, try posting that job for free at linkedin.com bootleg and see what they can do for you. Again, that is linkedin.com bootleg to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you again to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Uh, let's get to the second AFC game on the docket for the week. And this one, I truly don't know what to expect. That is Ravens at Bengals. And I don't know what to expect because we have no idea what quarterback is going to be on the field for the Ravens. Uh, Ian Rappaport did go on uh, the Pat McAfee show today. And he said that Lamar has been telling people he's going to play, but that there are people in the building that are not super enthusiastic about what they've seen out of his knee. And it's still very much up in the air. I would probably lean towards, yeah, he's going to play because it's a playoff game seasons on the line. Like this is what you get paid to do (laughs) is, you know, if you can play, you will go out there and play, but I don't necessarily, it's going to, think it's going to be the same Lamar that we're used to seeing, which is, you know, dynamic rushing threat, super hard to sack, great pocket mobility. I think it's going to be a 60 to 70% 
Lamar Jackson, and he's going to have to win this game with his arm. And that's a lot tougher um, than I think people realize because the Bengals' defense is really damn good. Like, they're not the plucky underdog anymore like they were early in the season. Like, they are legitimately really vicious, aggressive, multifaceted. Like, Lou Anarumo, God, I always... I hope I got his name correct. I always screw it up. Uh, I just call him Lou. He's had a phenomenal year at defensive coordinator for Cincy. Um, he has been one of the best assistant coaches in the league over the last couple of years, in my opinion, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I really hope he never leaves them because he's been fantastic. And I think that, you know, kind of looking at how the Bengals played against this Ravens offense when, granted, Anthony Brown was starting, they had no respect for the Ravens passing game at all. Like they, they were letting guys go deep free. Like there was a third and four uh, late in the third quarter where there was like an alert seam that Anthony Brown just straight up missed. And the free safety didn't even bother bracketing it. Like the corner fell down because he's like, oh, he's going to throw the sit route over the middle. Like we're, we're not even going to worry about him trying to get six in one throw because he's not going to see it. And he didn't. And he threw it into triple coverage, at least tried to throw it in triple coverage. The ball got batted down the line of scrimmage. But, like, those kind of throws happened the entire game where he straight up was not seeing the field. And so the Bengals' defense was squeezing everything underneath. And it was just turnover-worthy play after turnover-worthy play. And if Anthony Brown's playing again, we're probably going to see it again, but even worse because they know and they have the confidence that, like, this team cannot stretch the field unless Lamar Jackson is out there. So I don't, I I struggle to see this game as remotely close unless Lamar is out there. And even if Lamar is out there going against this pass rush, which again, you know, can really get after people and the secondary that loves to beat up receivers and the safeties that are super rangy and the linebackers that just knock your socks off without that kind of dynamic rushing ability to turn for lack of a better word, chicken shit and a chicken salad uh you know every once in a while I don't think they got a shot I really don't and like the line's like six and a half right now that just seems entirely disrespectful to the Bengals to me because these two teams are not remotely in the same spot both sides don't match up well in this matchup if you're looking at the Bengals high-powered offense versus the Ravens very tough defense that was hitting the defense played tough and they will this is a divisional matchup they are gonna smack each other that matchup is fine like the defense for baltimore is is gonna take its lumps against the Bengals' offense but they're also gonna dish some out that's that that matchup is more even when you flip it again to lou anarumo's defense versus possibly an anthony brown led ravens offense without one of their top two rushing threats the difference just spikes and you go okay so the other half eh, i'm not gonna say stalemate probably still give a little edge to the bengals but it's gonna be close you switch to the ravens offense versus the bengals defense and you go this isn't close i started watching this game yesterday oh about second quarter i started paying more focused attention to it watching all the games at once i watched for about 10 minutes of real time not even game time so not even quite half of the second quarter. And there are four turnover-worthy plays in that time, right? It's only two drives from the Ravens. And there were legitimately four throws that could have easily been picked off. I'm not talking about crazy athletic plays. I'm talking about, oh, I'm surprised he didn't catch that. That's not winning football. And really asking a Ravens team that was built around Lamar and his strengths and leveraging those to break them out of situations and lead them offensively and to put anyone else in that role, maybe short of Justin Fields, you know, and he's not even at that level, you're not going to get it, right? You can't just pivot a Ravens team that's built on defense and, and power running and Lamar's dynamic running, you know, quarterback read from the pocket and say, okay, now anyone go win with your arm because we have this great receiving core that's, no, you don't. That's not the way you constructed the horse. So we're not going to see them be able to pivot, and I feel like you do. This is going to be one of the more lopsided matchups of the first weekend. 
Also keep in mind, uh, Bengals defense, because they are so blessed to have DJ Reader against teams that run a lot of 12 personnel and 21 personnel, they play nickel into it. And because they because they have reader up front who can steal back a gap because for they them. can because <laughs> they can. And so they're really fast. And so even if Lamar was healthy, like the fact that they have so much team speed on defense based on the personnel groupings that they are allowed to play against heavier groups, you know, it kind of does uh, take away a lot of the outside run game that Baltimore does like to do when they are fully healthy, which they're not. So. Again, a lot of man coverage, a lot of pressure. Lamar, I do not expect him to be a dynamic rushing threat here, so he's going to have to be dodging bullets inside the pocket and dropping crazy dimes against really tight, tough man coverage on the outside. You know, Isaiah likely is going to have to have the game of his life. Like, it's, oh, God, it's just, it's a hard matchup for me to think, like, six and a half is a justified line. And I... I think it's going to move before game day because that just feels and, – and here's the thing. Fully healthy Ravens team, even money to me. They're not fully healthy. They're not even close to fully healthy. So I got to go with, with Cincy. And it, it sucks that it feels like the Ravens, they go through this every year where they get hurt and banged up and we never really get to see a fully armed and operational battle station. But it is what it is. They're banged up again, and I just I don't see it. I really don't. There's a thin window for them to win this game. Is it possible? Yeah. They're going to need great plays on special teams, and whoever's a quarterback is going to have to hit some very tight, really contested shots down the seam to the tight ends, and it's going to be likely in Kohler. We saw a little bit of Charlie Kohler, too. They drafted both of those guys to be bolsters to their receiving court. Neither one of them is a great blocker, but they can make plays in the passing game. Isaiah likely had a little stretch in that second quarter where he made a couple of, you know, big catches, move them down the field. They're going to have to maximize that. The defense is going to have to be airtight, which is a huge challenge against Cincinnati and all that talent. And you're going to just have to throw some balls up and have guys like likely and Kohler go win them. It's not a great, plan going in to say hey this is what we're leaning on guys but that's what they've got and there isn't much else and when you take away the amount of field that the Bengals have to defend by putting in somebody like Anthony Brown and let them sit on routes and let them press down they have too much speed at linebacker with Pratt and Wilson the same Jesse Bates is playing great ball you got reader plugging up things in the middle you got Hendrickson coming off the edge like you got all these guys and you say oh defend one third less of the field because the deep outs are really not a thing that's a really really small window to try and fit through to get a win out of this game yeah so it's it's just a tough matchup um and I, I do expect the Bengals to win um similar kind of story for the last AFC game of the week Dolphins at Bills this one, uh, unfortunately, the Dolphins are a very similar story uh, to the Ravens. You know, if they have a, a healthy quarterback, now we're talking. Um, if they have a healthy running back, now we're talking. Because Raheem Mostert, unfortunately, broke his, I think it was broke his thumb against the Jets. And he was averaging like 9 or 10 yards a carry in that game before, uh, before he injured his hand. And he's questionable in this game. Um, and we have no idea if Tua is playing. Um, there was a tweet that I sent you, which kind of gave me a, a little bit of pause that made me think maybe he's not playing. This is from uh, Barry Jackson, um, who said, remember, Tua had memory issues and an inability to recall things after the Green Bay concussion. Doctors are taking this very seriously to the point that they told the coaching staff that they should not discuss any topics that could cause him stress, such as when he might play again. That doesn't seem like a quarterback that's going to be playing NFL playoff football in like four days. So I, I don't think he's going to play and medically that's probably the right call. But if two is not on the field and if most is not on the field, this is, this is going to be another bloodbath. And it's a shame because schematically speaking, the dolphins are actually one of the better matchups to take out Buffalo in the playoffs. If they were fully healthy because we've seen the Dolphins run more 21 personnel than anyone in the league, and 83% of their 21 personnel snaps with Alec Ingold on the field, and usually Mostert, 83% of those have motion. 
by far the highest number in the NFL. And the Bills' run defense is atrocious against two-back runs, especially outside zone. They've allowed the fourth-worst EPA per play allowed against two-back runs. They are fifth-worst in average depth of tackle, meaning how many yards past the line of scrimmage um, that they make the tackle. It's 5.26 yards on two-back runs, which is horrible. Uh, Their interior defensive line got their ass kicked in the last matchup in Buffalo, especially on outside zone. Ed Oliver just got run over in that game. They've had the fifth most outside zone called against them, and again, they're like 5.4 yards average depth of tackle. Like This Miami run game opened them like a tin can, but unfortunately, the running back that did that may or may not play, and the quarterback that was on the field may or may not play. So it's just unfortunate because I think this is one of the offenses that when they're fully healthy is absolutely built to beat Buffalo, and Buffalo has only sustained more injuries since that game. So it could be even worse. But, you know, between two teams that have faced a lot of attrition in terms of injuries this year, Miami's faced the worst of it because at the end of the day, Buffalo still has their quarterback. They still have Stephon Diggs. They still have a a lot of their offensive pieces. And uh, Miami doesn't have arguably the most important one, which is their quarterback. So I still expect Buffalo to win this game. And I will be lamenting all offseason that uh, that we might not be getting um, the fully uh, the fully healthy matchup that I think I wanted all year long, which was Miami and Buffalo in January. And that's you're right. That's what this team was built for. It was built with, okay, if we're going to win, if we're going to go anywhere, we have to be able to win our division. We have to beat our division rival. Who's Who's the power in the division right now? It was clearly Buffalo when Mike McDaniel mm-hmm. took over, still is. And case in point, Miami needs to find its offense for the first, up until Thanksgiving, November 27th, game against up to and through that game, game against Houston. Here's the point totals since that game. Before that, you'll remember, 30s, 30s, 30s. They had a couple losses in there, but they were scoring mid mid to high 30s, occasionally high 20s. Since that game right around Thanksgiving, 17. That's versus San Francisco. We all know about San Francisco's defense. 17. That's against the Chargers. Now, 21st scoring defense. Not not great. Bottom, Almost bottom third. And we just talked about how bad the Chargers run game or run defense is. So, but only 17. Then 29, the high point of this last six-week stretch versus Buffalo. It was a loss, but almost 30 points, and we saw how effective they were. So in terms of, like, lock and key matchups, yes, Miami's offense versus Buffalo's defense was the best they've done over the last month and a half. Then 20 in the game that Tua was concussed in at Green Bay, 21 versus the Pats, which is the 11th scoring defense, still a tough task, and 11 versus the Jets, which is the Jets had the fourth scoring defense. So it's a combination of good defenses, but also the rest of the league kind of figuring out, mm, we can limit the yak, right? This reminds me of when KC's attack, which was just wide open and nobody could figure out how to keep Tyreek off, you know, the the long cross. And then everybody went, oh, we have to limit that and make them work for it. And it feels a little bit like that with Miami. Now it's a combination of to his injuries and effectiveness. Now, they they like Skylar Thompson. We got to see him at Shrine Bowl. He had a good preseason. He came in. He's not Tua. Um, and he is a rookie. So it's not fair to say, oh, Skylar Thompson, who is healthy, come out and do the exact same things that Tua does. Skylar Thompson is no Brock Purdy, EJ. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. So, you know, over that stretch, Miami's 1-5. and five. And Tua played in a bunch of those games. Now, we can argue about how healthy he was even before the later concussion at Green Bay and whatever else. But ever since Thanksgiving, this team, this Miami team, has struggled to score points, except versus Buffalo. They scored almost 30 and almost won that game. It was really, really close. Well, Buffalo is the number two scoring defense in the league, so it's not getting any easier. But this matchup is a little bit kryptonite for them, again, if Miami can bring all the players to bear and they can't and the most important one to a triggering that attack like he did very efficiently earlier in the year that we called out on this podcast doesn't sound like he's going to be there doesn't sound like he should be there and that's that's a thing and again if buffalo loses this game it's going to be on a very narrow window it's going to be on 
special teams or Josh getting impatient and Javon Holland picking him off because they're they're leveraging talent on that side of the ball. When you look at that matchup, Buffalo's defense, Miami's offense in the current state as they roll into this game, it's very difficult to see Miami's offense opening them, like you said, like a can like they did in the last game. Not not probable. Raheem Mostert, this is a just a Raheem Mostert appreciation minute. God damn, that guy's good. He's so when good. He, <laughs> when he's on the field, he, I think he's one yeah. of the least appreciated running backs in the NFL. If you said, hey, name the top 15 running backs in the NFL, I, I think very few people would, would put Raheem Mostert's name in that conversation. If you look at what he's done over the last half of the season with the Dolphins, like there's no way you couldn't based on that stretch. He is really effective slashing tons of speed runs hard just ripping off big gains it wasn't just against buffalo that he was averaging a lot of yards every week you look up and raheem mostert when he was starting was being really efficient in the run game even explosive for the dolphins and if he's out i'm with you that's it's probably too many straws for the miami offense back to bear also i mean you had raheem mostert appreciation i want to have a a josh allen appreciation because in week 18 there were two throws he made the one where he kind of broke the pocket and then threw it deep to john brown doing the typical when josh allen's rolling right and he's given the the hand wave you know a touchdown's coming but the one that was even more impressive than that was that bomb far hash like 56 57 yards down the left sideline i think it was to Diggs. that is a breathtaking throw Mm mm-hmm that is a throw that maybe like four to five humans on planet earth can do. And he's one of them. And I think that as long as you have that kind of super weapon, even if the dolphins were fully healthy, the bills would obviously have a chance because they have that. They have the ability to make a damn near impossible throw from their own 40 yard line and get that big of a chunk instantly. As long as they have Allen, as long as they have Diggs, and as long as Gabe Davis catches the fucking ball, they'll be fine. Um, And I think that Bills fans should be uh, excited about what lays ahead in the playoffs because just like we thought in the beginning of the year, it's probably going to come down to them and Cincy and KC and maybe a a wild uh, appearance from Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert there. But, like, that's that's it. It's going to be the five super weapon quarterbacks in the conference and everybody else – Sorry, try again next year. You know what just tickles me to no end as a Bears fan is listening to Bills fans go, man, we really need a number two wide receiver. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, to want that you've already got the alpha locked up and now you just need the compliment. I'm not saying it's not true for those of you that are competing for conference championships. I'm just saying, oh, that must be nice. Worrying about your number two as as a dire need. I will take the one first. And here's the thing: I think they already do. His name's Khalil Shakir. Yeah, we'll I'm see. Telling you, telling you. Yeah. Like they, I mean, I know they brought back Cole Beasley for a reason, and they they got John Brown taking snaps for a reason because they have lost a little bit of confidence in the other guys. But I don't know. I just I I know there's something there with Shakir, and it might take till next year to see it. But I I do think there's something there. Who knows? Maybe he'll make a crazy play in the playoffs and justify my infatuation with him. Maybe. Uh, now, we talked all about the, the the number two through the number seven seed as they do battle this weekend. We still have to talk about the number one seed. And I know that them getting the number one seed was not without controversy because of the uh, tomfoolery. Is that the right word? <laughs> that the league... Uh, in terms of trying to figure out exactly how to make an equitable result here with the cancellation of Bills Bengals. Bengals fans are really upset um, to a degree. Everybody was upset with some aspect of it other than the Chiefs because the Chiefs just kind of got the one seed out of nowhere and their only real drawback was a, a not going on the road but getting a neutral site game, which even for them... You know, they're like, fine, whatever, we'll take it. We want the buy. That's what we care about. Um, and so I know that there are fans of other AFC powers that were really miffed at that. But I also don't really think there was a whole lot else the league could do because if, and really the main thing the Bengals fans were upset about was they wanted the opportunity to do, if they win this week, 
And if the Bills win this week, they wanted the opportunity to have a neutral site game between them. But it's a different situation because the difference between the Chiefs and the Bills was half a game and the difference between the Bills and the Bengals was a full game. And if you're doing a neutral site, that would literally be the NFL saying, oh, we think the Bengals would have won, which they they can't do. They can't make right. that tacit implication or just straight up implication. So I understand why Bengals fans are upset because they think they would have won that game. And who knows? Maybe they would have. It was seven to three. They had a whole bunch of momentum. Like maybe they would have, but the league can't operate on that assumption, which is why that was not a neutral site game. And so I think when you combine that with the fact that Kansas city was just kind of given the first seed, uh, I, I can understand why, why some AFC fan bases are upset, but I, there wasn't a whole lot else that I think they could have done. Um, but anyway, all that to say, we should check in on the, on the number one seed. If you want to put an asterisk there, fine. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, because they did honestly have one of the more impressive seasons, even by their standards. Looking at their expectations coming into the year, you know, looking at a lot of the shakeups they've had over the last couple of years on offensive line and the receiving core, a lot of people were counting them out, even myself. I was like, yeah, they, they might be a wild card team. I still ended up picking them to win the division, but like I understood the argument for why they wouldn't be. And then they came out and were arguably better than they've ever been. And I think that should terrify a lot of people. So what do you think about the first seed? He says with air quotes, first seed Kansas City Chiefs and how they uh, how they match up with the rest of the conference. Well, first, I'll agree with you. There's it's an impossible situation to say we think or this is fair or whatever else, because you have tons of passion and belief on all sides of this debate that it would have been different no matter what they say. It's kind of like letting people argue about the weather, right? If you said people got to choose the weather on a certain day, you know, the farmer says, hey, I want a bunch of rain for my corn. And somebody else says, well, I'm getting married, so I want sun. And you're like, well, that's why it's good that nobody gets to pick the weather. It just does what it does. That's why the NFL shouldn't be in this business and they just let the games play out on the field and they go, they won or they didn't. Well, they didn't have that luxury this time, so they had to do something and it was going to be imperfect from the start. So here we are. The Chiefs have the first seed. They started off a little bit slow and then they just rolled. And they rolled to an extent that I think a lot of people don't appreciate. In fact, if Pat Mahomes is listening to this podcast, us you know, presaging all the action for the other contenders in the AFC. I imagine him like filing his nails and going, <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Like, oh, the peasants are uprising again. Still, <laughs> still got to go through us, right? Yeah. And he has every reason to. Patrick Mahomes, as good as he's been, which is excellent, which is like historically excellent for his first years in the league threw for 5,250 passing yards this year after everybody said he was going to miss Tyreek. Now, you might say, oh, 5,000 yards, 5,200 yards. Wow, that's a lot of yards. It is. Nobody else had more than 4,750. Chiefs are still the team to beat. And if you want to go even further down, we talk about Josh Allen as a super weapon. And he is, and that schoolyard play to John Brown showed why he just rolled out and went yeah yeah okay boom I can score when I want to even against pro level defenses and he can Geno Smith had one of the most resurgent years by any quarterback in the NFL this year Josh Allen and Geno Smith missed having the exact same number of passing yards a season by one yard which is just mind-blowing after 17 games all the permutations whatever else Allen had 42.83 and Smith had 42.82. Which Pat, I know Allen did miss some time, obviously, with the cancellation of the Bengals game, but the fact that Geno's even in the ballpark yeah, is one yard amazing. Different. Yeah. And, you know, so it's great for Geno. It's, that's a really good total for a quarterback in the NFL. Josh Allen had 4,200 yards after missing some time. Pat Mahomes had 1,000 more yards. Out of 5,000. Mm -hmm. Like 1,000 more yards out of 5,000. It, it's not 
even close. So when I joke about him filing his nails and kind of listening to this with some interest, I, I know Pat Mahomes is a focused competitor. I know he is preparing for folks and does not want to get beat. That is obvious. The Chiefs offense is humming along just fine. And they're sitting there waiting for this all to get decided, however it shakes out. And then they're going to try and beat the tar out of whoever shows up. And they have every ability to do it. So while we spend a lot of time talking about all these other teams, because they play this weekend, don't think we're not thinking about Kansas City. We know what Kansas City is and what they're waiting to do to the first team they get to play, which will be a week from now. And you know why I think that they are more dangerous than ever, even by their standards? They're loose. You saw that ring around the rosy, weird fucking play they ran against the Raiders. You don't call that in a game that, I mean, they had to win it in order to get the first seed. Like, it wasn't guaranteed they were going to get the first seed, but they had had to win that game, and they did. Um, You don't call that in that kind of game unless you are supremely loose and you know that yeah we we probably got this one in the bag let's just do something fun and like there were some players around the league that were pissed off about it because they thought it was like show like quinn miners uh from the broncos said he was mad about it and i'm like well beat him (laughs) be mad bro it's okay like i understand the sentiment and and people again are are going to argue endlessly about football that's what makes it fascinating some people see it as super serious and analytical numbers and some people see it as you know more fun and and looser than that and and this is why i love bootleg listeners and viewers is we got a tweet about this and somebody said i keep coming back to football ej's take on vibe based football and Mm -hmm. when we were talking about the chiefs earlier on we said when the chiefs are this when they are in this flow state this zone whatever you want to call it and they are loose and pat it looks like the 80s lakers right showtime like he's tossing balls underhand and behind like they're very hard to beat and when they sort of don't have that effectiveness or or they're not being as efficient and they start to tighten up a little bit and look like they're pressing we talked about this with Mahomes a little bit in the early early parts the first month of the season it just didn't it wasn't there when they get to this place where they can ring around the rosy and feel like they're getting like what this listener was saying on Twitter was oh it's that yeah that's it like you're not beating a vibe based football team when they're vibing and the Chiefs are vibing I never thought about the comparison of the Showtime Lakers, but so that resonates with me because when I used to work in TV and I did Spectrum Sportsnet covering the Lakers, I worked with James Worthy. Yes. And I had many conversations with him about a whole bunch of different basketball topics. But, um, you know, I asked about, you know, the connection that he and his teammates had back in the day. And he said he knew when they were going to lose based on how much they had to talk. Yes. If they had to talk to communicate, they were going to lose. If they could just look at each other and knew exactly what each other was going to do and, and how to play, like they were unstoppable. And I think the Chiefs, when, you know, Pat's running around and he just looks at Travis and Travis just stops and he knows exactly where Pat's going to throw it. Or McK- like there was a, he was kind of low red zone rolling out to his right and he just, he was kind of like looking and just holding the ball like, Jarek, Jarek, I need you to get to that spot. And he did. But like no communication, just flow state and giving each other faintest glances and knowing exactly what those mean. They are in such a zone with each other right now. Um, it's truly special football. And it's it's the kind of football that very few other teams can play because it's all about chemistry and, and just knowing each other. And they, yeah, they know and- each other. And ever, that's the thing, is when we say it's a it's a it's a brand of football that very other very few other teams can play, we mean ever. Like for mm-hmm. a game, like a half, a drive. And the Chiefs do it for like half a year. <laughs> you know, it's it is not normal. It's super cool to watch. And I, you know, everybody's like, Oh, who are the teams that didn't get into the playoffs that nobody wanted to play? I'm like <laughs> Can we can we say the Chiefs are in the playoffs and nobody wants to play them? Because that's the answer. Uh, all right. Well, 
Good little preview show we had here. Remember, we have another one coming out, NFC. Uh, this was about an hour long. That's That seems healthy. So we have another likely hour-ish long NFC preview coming up, especially because some of those matchups are probably a hell of a lot closer than the AFC ones will be. Not entirely sure which day it's coming out, but it will definitely be before Saturday, before Friday even. Uh, we're shooting for Thursday, but we'll see. Either way, keep an eye on the YouTube channel, uh, or if you're reading the, or listening to this on the audio feed, keep an eye on this. We will get two episodes out this week. Uh, thank you to everybody for watching and listening. However you happen to consume the show, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you're new here, like and subscribe and all that nonsense. Uh, really appreciate that as well. And if you're building your slips for this weekend based on the information that hopefully we are giving you, we're being, you know, good educational content here uh, again you can use promo code bootleg over at prize picks and they will match your deposit and double it up to the first hundred dollars so uh, thank you again to prize fix for sponsoring us this entire season thank you all for watching and listening we'll be back in a couple days with the nfc Take care. Powerful as Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.